Welcome to the Story of Life podcast. Uh, this is episode eight. My name is Clinton Cornwell, and I'm here with my co-host. Alan C. Gardner. We are both right. creative, independent filmmakers, and, and we're here to talk about living a creative life and all of the ups and downs and emotions and the little details, the little nuances of, of living that kind of life. Lots of feelings is what you get here. Feelings on film and life and what have you. So for a little context... We are recording this intro and the concluding outro uh, circa now, but the main episode was recorded on June 13th, 2020. So at this point in time from recording, that was a good two and a half years ago. Jeez. So we started recording these whenever we had a chance back then, back in 2020, mainly for the love of just talking with each other and getting it all out there. And we are now excited to finally be sharing these candid conversations with you folks uh, quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit later, but not too late. Never too late. In this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about Alan's feature film, Act One, which is available right now on a bunch of streaming platforms. Alan, do you have those off the top of your head? I do. If you want to watch Act One before we talk more about it, you you can stream it for free on Tubi, actually, or you can rent or purchase it on Amazon or Vimeo On Demand. So yeah, give it a gander and come on back to, to story life. Yeah, we definitely talk a lot about the details uh, of the process for Alan making and releasing Act 1. Uh, so I think you will get a lot more out of this episode if you watch the film ahead of time. Yes, and also, you know, I like it. It's good when people check <laughs> check out the movies. But really, this is for your sake, so you'll be informed for this conversation. On that note, let's dive in. Uh, episode 8 on Act 1, recorded June 13, 2020. Enjoy. How are you, bud? Good. <laughs> overall, I'm very good. A little anxious at the moment. Oh, overall, that means you got some stuff. No, no, no. You Actually, doing, doing really about. well. Doing really well. You know, in the midst of getting getting the place ready for the new baby and everything, we had a bunch of, you know, I had to dig out all the old uh, infant clothes, organize those, and kind of like went through and, uh, you know, stored certain ones away for, you know, basically like just getting everything kind of situated as, as much as possible. Because, you know, when, yeah. when he gets here, it'll obviously be delirium-fueled kind of chaos for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you try, you try to set the table as best you can, you know, before then. It's kind of like, you know, uh, going into production, you know, you prepare as, as much as humanly possible. So when the You're craziness... in pre-production for a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she's uh, about to be 34 weeks pregnant, but she's measuring as if she's like 37, 38 weeks. Mm. She's a big boy. She's ready to do this thing. She's ready to get that baby out of, <laughs> out of her. So, yeah, man. So we're thinking he might be coming early. Uh, we shall see. No, everything's good. Everything's good. Just like right before I got on the phone, I just feeling like a little anxious about certain things. I was trying to like, you know, it's, you know, how it is, trying to get as much done as, as possible. And there's never quite enough time, but I feel good. I feel good about where we're at. I think we're, I think Chelsea and I are just ready to, ready for this to happen. <laughs> yeah. Ready for that baby to. How's, the, how's your project's been coming? Good, good. We signed with the sales agent for Cold Feet, so mm-hmm. been getting stuff together for him. We like recut the trailer and um, working on a poster and getting some paperwork squared away. So I guess he's taking it to the, the can virtual market, whatever, next week. Um, so yeah, I've heard really good things about this guy. So yeah, it looks like we're actually going to get Act 1 out there more. The sales agent reached out to us because we put Act 1 up on Vimeo On Demand, and he, I guess he was checking to see like you know movies that come up on Vimeo On Demand. And so he reached out to me and I told him about that one and sent it to him. And then also told him that, you know, Cold Feet as well, like our newest one. Because Act One is definitely one of our older works. But uh, it looks like he's going to be able to get, I think, Act One out on, 
on DVD in certain places or whatnot. He found a distributor that wants to, to put it out there to a certain extent. I mean, it's a little harder because it's an older film. But yeah, so that could be kind of cool. So it's kind of cool, like, you know, having a movie that we made 15 years ago, getting out there a little bit more in conjunction with our newest, you know, finished film. So yeah, that's all been good. And then gradually, I mean, we'll dive more into pre-production on Breaker Breaker early fall, but starting to kind of put the pieces together, you know, because mid-July to like end of August especially is basically going to be like, you know, batting down the hatches. Pretty much, I'll be working on stuff Baby here time. and there. But yeah, yeah, exactly. There's really not going to be much time at all for the projects during like that month and a half or so. Um, so yeah, just trying to get stuff as much as possible set up before then. So then we can really dive into pre-production in like september how are you doing good i think working on new projects now because i was going to shoot that cannibal thing but the actor wanted to push and i was like considering pushing anyways and so <clears throat> we pushed it back and now like i don't see the idea anymore it doesn't feel as relevant of an idea because like sort of the world is changing right i'm still kind of reassessing with that it's not dead dead yet but also i'm not sure when we're gonna shoot it so right now i've been focusing on writing a a new feature if i can get it to a place where i feel confident enough in it i could be shooting it like next month maybe if i wanted to nice Um, a new feature nice yeah yeah just because it's a very small small circumstance type thing and i know i could pull it together really easily you know wouldn't need like a huge prep time cool working on that trying to make sure i do diligence and sort of exploring it and and making sure it's worth my time to actually do that because even if i could shoot a feature you know next month i mean that would be nice to get a feature done during this time but you know it's they always have a long tail so i'm not just committing to that shoot i'm committing to however many years ahead of it uh Hmm. with post and everything so i am familiar yes <laughs> yes as Year, you all, as years you is correct years is correct yes yeah even if it, even if you make a movie in a week it, if it's a feature film yep. you still have years ahead absolutely oh, i had another editor quit on me though jeez <laughs> for another Whoa. editor too wow know anybody i'm talking to a friend right now but uh yeah uh, um, i'll think i'll think about it yeah we, we can talk about that uh offline <laughs> no i'll think i'll think about it um and get some more details from you but yeah uh, so what happened so, what happened what happened here so this was so i had the one girl who was editing the haunted uh one woman who's editing the haunted and she had to quit but then she got a replacement and i met with the replacement and she uh seemed like she was very enthusiastic about it and she was going to do a new cut and then like she says i'll have a cut in like a week and then you know two weeks later it's still no cut kind of check back in with her and she's like well all this other things are going on in my life right now i have this opportunity to write the script and blah 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 and these things you know that's understandable i mean you know you know when indie film you don't have the pressure usually of money and to enforce deadlines in, right. in the same stringent ways in a lot of a lot of times so i was like i was fine with that but then i just you know what I, i've sensed it i've been through this 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 already and essentially i just gave her out because I didn't want to sort of have her intentionally or, or unintentionally sort of like string me along and just not really get any work done because it's not a priority for her. So I just gave her an out. And I said, hey, it sounds like you have a lot going on. You know, if you need to back out of this, that's totally fine. And she's like, yeah, I, it's probably for the best. So Fair enough. here we are. That was probably good of you to do. I mean, smart of you to do that and and good of you to do that probably for the best. Well, I think a lot of times you get the sense when the writing is on the wall. Like when yeah. you when you see people quit enough. Yeah. Like Jeez. just by just by their actions and the things that you're saying, you can already tell like, oh, they've basically quit. 
They just haven't actually said that they quit yet. Yeah. And so when she's saying like, yeah, all those, I have all these other things going on. I'm like, and, and, and that coupled with the fact that the cut had already been delayed a couple weeks from when she initially said she was going to give it. I was like, mm, this isn't going to work out. Right. But that's, uh, that's filmmaking and that's indie filmmaking, especially. Yeah. That's why, I mean, it's good for, I always try to be really careful about what I say yes to in the first place. And we've talked about this some, there've been quite a few things that I've wanted to do, but I knew that I wouldn't be available enough to actually do what the, you know, the filmmakers needed of me. So I said, no, <laughs> I graciously yeah, yeah, I said get, no. I get, um, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I get approached, you know, as I'm sure you've experienced, as you continue to make films, you continue to put, put stuff out there. People come with you, come to you enthusiastically with a lot of ideas or whatever, but I end up at this point saying no to almost all of them just because I already have so much yeah. taken up with my own yeah. projects. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a past version of me and I had to learn this lesson the hard way. There's a past version where, where you want to say yes. Like, oh my God, somebody's approaching me with a thing and like they they want me. They want to they wanna work with me. They want to do stuff with me. Yeah. And, you know, you no, say yes exciting. to it, yeah. but then you realize, oh, no, oh, wait, I don't actually have the time or yes. the energy or the enthusiasm enough to like right. pull me through this project. Yeah. No, it, it's always very flattering. I mean, anytime anyone asks to participate in whatever it is they're doing, I, I'm very appreciative. But, you know, like this conversation we're having right now, I'm just so hyper aware of what you just went through. Like as far as like, you know, having this editor who said yes, but then not really delivering at least, you know, things aren't going according to plan. And I would just much rather, I, I find it more beneficial to like, just instead of stringing so, someone along, because I know how much work goes into this. And so I just don't say yes lightly. Yeah. I'm not saying that this editor did or whatnot. I just, you got to be really careful about that and be honest with yourself. Well, like, can I, will I actually be able to make the time and have like the necessary amount of, you know, passion and conviction for this project to deliver what they need? Well, would I be doing them a disservice if I said yes? And if the answer to that yeah. is yes, then you gotta say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, what I've found too, I've I've started putting down, um, like if somebody approaches me with a thing, and you just, you, for me, I don't want to enter in that sort of vague space of of what the responsibilities are, like who's right. who's the burden on to do what. Right. And so I'll say, I'm not in a place where I can like push a project forward all the way, you know, right. and give it my full attention. But if you bring me this, if you bring me a script and you're willing to produce or whatever, and then I can be more involved in this aspect, I kind of give people those, those bounds of like, instead of just a flat rejection, I'm like, I can't fully do this, but this is how I could work on it. If right, you right, do right. this, I could, yeah. I could contribute this. Totally. I think we talked about this before too. Like as long as expectations are clear, like I'll hear like any, any opportunity that someone wants to toss my way, I'll totally hear them out because sometimes they do say yes because sometimes it will be worth it to me and sometimes I can make it happen. It just you know, obviously depends a lot on what the opportunity is because there's, you know, there's on one hand you might have like an acting gig that's just like for a couple of days. So that's one thing. But then like if someone's yeah. asking you to direct an entire, you know, feature or whatnot, I mean, that's a whole nother ball or, or write a feature or whatever. That's a whole nother ball game. So yeah, I want to yep. hear, I yep. want to hear, I want to hear about all these opportunities and, um, and yeah, like you said, like just get, make sure expectations are clearly laid out. And if I feel like I can do it and I want to do it, then yeah, absolutely. But otherwise, like like I said, like even if I want to do it on some level, if I just 
if I can't, if I, again, if I would be a disservice to the project, then obviously I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Speaking of which, during, since I was watching Act One, I came up with a, an idea that I, that I want you to be in. <laughs> oh, yeah? funny. Well, it's not, it's an idea. It's a good idea. And I also think there's, there's a great role for you in it, but that's, that's, I got to write yes, that shit first. A hundred percent. Yes. Without it. even hearing out the details. <laughs> <laughs> no, like for you, like, honestly, like if it's something with you, like I would love to like to hear about that for sure. As a thing too, like I, I, I very much so like want to work with you in that capacity at some point. So that already makes yeah. me more uh, intrigued. But yeah, man, yeah, that's cool. When I have when I have a formal document, I'll send it to you. Sweet. Well, I'm excited about that. Cool. So Act One, <laughs> I watched the whole movie. <laughs> the whole you, when, <laughs> you make it sound like it's three hours. No, just, I watched the whole damn thing. Uh, when was the last time you watched it? Yeah, that's funny. I was actually thinking about that. It was, uh, I think what I came up with was, it was just over two and a half years ago. Uh, okay. We watched it with Chelsea, like early on in our relationship. Uh, yeah, it was probably two and a half years ago. Yeah. Oh, really? That was that like one of the first movies that you showed to her? <laughs> when I start, it's okay. So like, I don't know how this would be a fun thing to talk about too. Like when you start dating someone, it's a, basically like I wanted her, like she asked to like watch some of my stuff. And that was kind of like, cause it's that weird thing. It was like, you want to be able to share like, you know, some work that you're really proud of, but also it's like, all right, should you I really be, be pushy push- with it? <laughs> yeah, you want to be pushy with your own stuff. Like it's the third date and you're like, you got to check this out. No, but it's like when they're, you know, obviously the more serious relationship becomes and she very much didn't you know, want to see like what I do. And so the first one we watched was being awesome. And then from there, yeah, I can't even remember where it ran from there. Cause once the kind of like, the ice was broken and then she asked about watching some of the other ones. So were you watching them with her? Yeah. 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 I watched them with her. Yeah. Were you just like staring at her face the entire time? <laughs> no, God, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was simply, you know, clocking like reactions and, and, you know, the energy in the room and all that. But um, I always have to balance how much I'm like side looking at somebody and see their <laughs> right. reactions. I try. You know, I don't want to stare at them directly yeah, yeah. the entire time. But yeah. also, like, you know what's up on that fucking screen? You don't yeah. need to watch it. <laughs> but yeah, I try to like to gauge her reactions without being like disruptive of the experience. And basically, I try to keep my mouth shut too. Like, even if it's like, you know. Oh, yeah. I think we can all get into that bad habit of like trying to explain away certain things that maybe we don't think haven't aged too well or didn't quite work out the way that we hoped or little thing like you know what i mean and basically like at least for me my advice if you're a filmmaker and you're showing someone your movie and you're there with them when watching it just shut up and let them <laughs> let them watch the movie oh god that's the number that's the number one when you're showing somebody something and when you're getting their feedback about it just shut the yeah shut just the fuck shut up, up. Let them watch the movie. Then afterwards, like, let them, yeah, tell you what they want to say. And then, of course, like, if they want to, like, to talk about it and whatnot. And then, uh, you whatever. And at some point, like, after they've kind of shared their opinions, if you want to chime in with, like, certain, dis- you know, belated disclaimers, like, well, uh, that one scene could have been a little different, but what happened, or, like, whatever. But initially, yeah. like, let them watch the movie. I have a friend, a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, but she, whenever we watch any stuff that she's in, will talk, <laughs> pretty much talk incessantly throughout it. <laughs> Um, because of insecurity. Oh, and totally. Was, no, yeah, I totally yeah. get where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. And it's just like, you know, you just gotta, yeah, you just gotta let it happen. If you're, if you're choosing to allow someone to, you know, to watch something that you've been involved with, that you, whatever, that you wrote, directed, acted, whatever, produced, whatever, uh, just, yeah, let them watch the damn thing. I get it. I still get nervous, you know, even films that I've shown off, you know, like a hundred times. I still get nervous when sure. I, I have to play it in front of an audience. Like any any size, whether, whether it's one person or a hundred people, it's like 
it's you out there on the yeah, screen in, in some ways. Totally. And even if you realize you've grown from, from that time, it's still sort of an echo of you. Absolutely. And so it's, it's always nerve-wracking. Yeah. The more hats that you wore on that production, like, you know, you can't really, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like you can't pawn it off any other, you know, pawn things off on, on someone else, if you will, if it's a certain thing you want yeah, to I can't. Away. I can't wait. I don't know if look forward, but but uh, the first time I have to show twelve months to like a potential significant other, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be an interesting yeah. situation, I think. Oh God, yeah, yeah, especially with that. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about. <laughs> if I could be, uh, if you could, yeah, uh, Facetime the, me. Yeah, in that'll for that. be. Yep. Instead of oh, you I'll, watching I'll, I'll her, just talk ha- about it. Yeah, have like an iPad with me on it, watching her <laughs> watch it, and then you watch me watch anyway. <laughs> I'll edit down a I'll edit down a video of it, just like the highlights. Please do, <laughs> please do, please do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, it's been about yeah two and a half, yeah two and a half years. So it's been a good little while. Like even when we you know put it up on Vimeo on Demand a couple months ago, I was like, oh, I should watch this again. At, you know, at some point here, but I just haven't, I just haven't, <laughs> haven't gotten around to it yet. And it hasn't been it hasn't been that long since I've seen it. You know, like two and a half years isn't really that long in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but I, I will be excited to watch it again at, at some point. I'm curious. So you didn't direct this one. So how much do you feel ownership of it? Yes, I, correct. I didn't direct that one. Uh, my buddy Brad. So Brad, I've worked with since I was 14. We started doing some writing together. And then like in high school, we kind of experimented with like, okay, who's going to do what? Because he would kind of like, I'd basically write the screenplay. We would come up with stories together. Then I would write the script. And he was still thinking about acting some, and I was always into acting, and then we were both like thinking about directing and stuff too. And kind of like the dynamic in high school became, all right, after we you know, tried out different things, that he was going to direct, and I would write and act, and that we both produced. And so that was kind of how we uh, proceeded with the projects then. And so honestly, like I always kind of felt like, you know, a strong sense of ownership with him, because they all started with my idea, you know what I mean? And then I worked really hard to put those down into a script. And since we were good friends, the nature of our collaboration, like when he directed, he would give notes throughout the screenwriting process. And like, so we'd get to a place where we're both really happy with it. So he wasn't like changing, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like he was then like, he was very much like shooting the script and bringing a lot to it. But you get what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to make sure. Yeah, I'm- yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Because yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'm tell you this too. Uh, one of my big things, it's sometimes like a pet peeve for me. It's something I try to be very careful with is I'm, I'm very big on credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just like one, maybe it's too much. So that's just one of my things I can be a little precious about. So I always try to make sure, like, I always want to feel like I'm getting the credit that I deserve, but I'm also always trying to make sure that I'm not accidentally taking credit away from someone else. So totally. anyway, so, uh, bear with me as I try to thread that needle. So- well, it sounds like <laughs> it was a very close, intense kind of collaboration. Yeah. And even though you didn't. You like essentially co-directed it in a lot of ways, even though you didn't necessarily. I didn't. You know, even I though your the name's one, not, not yeah, the director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of like yeah. So the way I kind of saw it, was, it always felt like a fifty-fifty ownership kind of thing because yeah. these were such small operations, and like you, you there's never a moment where I'm like, wait, what is he doing now? Like, you know, why is he deviating from the script? And I don't know. And then being an actor in it too, and like we were both producing, so it kind of felt, you know, it felt pretty balanced. It felt like this might be a terrible example, but just for the sake of something that we'd be you know familiar with, like a Lennon McCartney kind of thing, if you will, if we were the Beatles <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And then as I got a little older, I was sort of realizing, oh, like I want to have even more uh, ownership over my films because like I started getting more more interested in directing, 
And in working, because I love working with actors and I love, you know, I started like visualizing as I wrote, I just started visualizing everything more. So I kind of started doing directing as well when I was 22 with this movie called 2000 Miles. I co-directed that and I co-directed Lost and Found. And then Act One was right on the heels of those. So 2000 Miles and Lost and Found I did without Brad. Uh, Brad still lives in Memphis. He lives in Germantown. Uh, where yeah. I'm from. But yeah, we would make a point of collaborating, uh, you know, pretty, pretty regularly. So anyway, with act one, I was like, all right, let's go back to, even though I was starting to go down the directing track as well, Brad and my, you know, relationship, he was going to direct it. I wrote it and acted in it. And obviously it's a very, you know, I mean, not obviously, but it's a very personal script and it's very, you know, it's kind of like, uh, and <laughs> literally like the screenwriter is the, st- <laughs> is the star of that script. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't feel, I certainly don't feel more ownership than Brad. It's more just like, I feel like a 50 50 kind of thing there. Because it's in this particular script, you know, it's very much so about screenwriting and the screenwriters. So that can't help but play like a, the script itself can't help but play like a big part in the the final film, if you will. Definitely. Definitely. That was a really long one. When did you shoot this? (laughs) We shot it in 2005. 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Yeah. So how does this film feel to you how do you regard it for yourself i regard it as i mean it's a very big turning point for us so 2000 miles with that one so i did 2000 miles like a year before we shot this i kind of did like three features pretty rapid it was like 2000 miles was in like january february 2004 then lost and found was in like september october 2004 and then we started shooting act one in january 2005 and then we finished it that summer. So with 2000 Miles, I started feeling like, oh, this is the first script I wrote where like, well, this and actually I wrote Act One before 2000 Miles. So Act One was then the first script that I wrote. I'm like, oh, I, start to, I feel like I'm starting to actually know what I'm talking about here. Like the characters started sounding more like me and my friends sounded in real life. So I, I yeah, I definitely regard it as and then, you know, for my and Brad's like working relationship, too. And then like producing with our friends, your good friends, Mark Norris and Matt Wedley. Like we could definitely feel that what we were doing with that one was a step above everything we'd done before. And we still, you know, very much so like appreciate everything we'd accomplished prior to that. But it kind of felt like the first one where it's like, okay, like we can like kind of proudly show this one without having, without even feeling the need to do too many of the, the, uh, you know, like I said before, you know, the disclaimers of like, oh, well this scene could have been a little different if, you know, or that, you know, or that person or like whatever. Yeah. I was, you know, there's definitely certain things that, because I was, you know, the way I looked at it back then versus the way I see it now. I mean, now, of course I see even more things. It's like, oh, Probably would have changed, you know, done this differently or done that differently, blah, blah, blah. But for what it is, I mean, I feel like it, it holds up and I'll always be really proud of what we accomplished with it. And it's definitely, it feels like a big time, like snapshot of me in my early 20s. So, were you this guy? Um, okay. <laughs> now that, I mean, you said that. So no, no, no. no, no it's no, another no, area in which I trade. Like, well, I said, like, snapshot, like, both in terms of the content and also just the, um, cause you know, every film you make is, yeah. When you watch it, it's the film. It's, it's the snapshot the of your life. Film at itself. You snapshot your life of like everything that was going on at that time in your life. I was definitely that guy in certain regards, but also I was more emotionally mature than he was from the outset. I was like, I can't imagine Alan ever being this guy, actually being this guy. The thing is, like, I. Yeah. I, okay. Well, f- a few things. One, I never like you know sold a script for like a million well, bucks <laughs> and then just like slacked off. Like you know, for, I was always very motivated. There's that. And also, I was always very sensitive about other people's feelings when it came to the stuff with the romantic stuff, if you will, in that film. So I had much more awareness and maturity than him. But there definitely were certain things about that character, the way he was, you know, certain aspects of the way he was living that I could relate to. I mean, I could definitely relate to a lot of it. 
the fears and whatnot. And then, you know, one, you know, and going out and like trying to like do your, ver- like what you thought, like having a good time was. And sometimes it was really a good time, but sometimes you're just like going yeah. out and like trying to do like what everyone, like what all the movies you watch as a kid, like taught you like, Oh, this is what being a young guy and going out and having a good time is. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I realized like, you know, the older I got, like a lot of like my teens and like early twenties, like when it came to my approach with, with women, you know, a lot of it was defined by like, you know, the stuff I was told through that, you know, people encouraged that things that, you know, that people, you know, seem to think were cool. The things that, you know, defined someone as being like, you know, a man or a cool guy to be able to like to do this, that or the other. There's a certain kind of bullshit standard that I would try to live up to and that I would like when I felt like I was achieving it, I was, you know, proud. I'm trying to keep things a little vague here. But, <laughs> but <laughs> why, you know, why are you trying all, to keep it vague uh, you know we're all like you know taught we all hear you know we all catch a lot of bullshit like when we we're kids in a lot of ways like you know out in the world and pop culture and this that and the other and i think maybe less so now like the world's definitely evolving a lot more now so but, yeah. you know as a young guy i mean simply put like you're taught you know it's like oh fucking go out and have sex and this that and the other and you're cool get these girls and like blah 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 and like that makes you a cool guy for me, I got much more excited about actually connecting with someone, which, you know, I'm sure yeah. you've, you've learned at this point from my other films <laughs> and from that one too, and from Act One too. But like, anyway, it wasn't a, it became like, oh, like it doesn't really matter like how many women you hook up with. You know, that's a pretty hollow kind of existence. But that was something I was, you know, in my late teens and early 20s would kind of like, you know, would fuel me in a certain way. Like, oh, I got to go out and hook up. Yeah. And when I did, I felt cool. Like it was that, you know, it was that simple. I had to grow up out of that. Makes sense. Yeah. No, no judgment here. This is a judgment-free <laughs> zone, Alan. I know. No, this I, is... I know. That's the thing. It's like I know what it is, but like I'm very hard on myself and trying to like another one of my things, one of my you know issues, whatnot is like I don't want to be misunderstood or I don't want to come off like a certain way, like you know where I'm romanticizing that lifestyle or condemning it or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of like stating that's kind of was the fact of the matter. Sure. So I wrote the first draft of Act One when I was 21. And, you know, by then I started really kind of cluing in on, like, I was still kind of, you know, all about, you know, not all about, but like, I was all, you know, my friends, my friendships and making my, making our movies and like, you know, worked really hard at all that and then wanting to like go out and meet women. And that was kind of like, you know, which again, that's not a bad thing, especially when you're 21, like, of course. And I, I think I did a pretty good job about making sure that like, I was, you know, compassionate and I always like hated the idea of like, I never wanted to f- someone to, f- you know, I-, I don't know, to like ghost someone or like leave someone hanging or this, that and the other. So I tried to be pretty upfront and not lead people on. Uh, but anyway, but that was like a big part of my, my life. And so the kind of the way I was interpreting all of that, the good and the bad of it and everything in between kind of went directly into this script. All right. All yeah. Right. So, yeah, like I said, it's a very much so while I'm not that guy. Um, there are a lot of things about that guy that are are very much so me. But that's what you know. A lot of a lot of my character, like a lot of my characters, and a lot of the scripts are like variations of me or certain parts of me. But I'm kind of like spread out through usually like through multiple characters. And that script though, it's much more like you know, yeah, there are things about other characters in it that I can relate to for sure. Uh, you know, with Kate too, like in her record, like wanting to build a record label with her friends, that very much so came from like how much I love making movies with my friends. Um, so that aspect of her, like I could relate to and certain other aspects of her, I could very much so relate to. What sparked you to make this, this movie in particular? Was there any, was there any, you know, genesis of the project? You know, it is. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, that's just going on within you that you're kind of like, that you're feeling, you're thinking about in one way or another. And sometimes like a lightning rod moment will happen where 
all of that, you know, some little thing, you know, something will occur that will then pull all that stuff that's going on within you kind of like to the forefront of your mind. And it'll start. And then you'll start being able to articulate all that, like in the form of a story or a character, or, you know, however it begins, certain themes that you want to pursue through telling a story. So, yeah, I mean, for that one, like a big source of inspiration was so the movie about a boy, which I absolutely love. I watched that movie and I love the balance of comedy and drama in that movie. And it just kind of got me thinking about the things that were going on in, in my life and how I was feeling like, you know, because I never, you know, I didn't want to feel like shallow in certain way. I didn't want to feel I want to make sure that I was pursuing things for what I deemed to be like, you know, virtuous and, and pure reasons. And yeah. um, I want to make sure I wasn't becoming some sort of jackass so <laughs> yeah so that's kind of where it came from so that was kind of like um, a source of inspiration and then I just started sorting through everything going on in my life and i started imagining like okay like what if it kind of started like what if i had like sold a script for this amount and then like you know what if i wasn't as you know sensitive as i am about certain things and what if i never told some girl in high school like how i felt and this that and the other so it's basically like taking myself and then like you know turning the emotional dials about certain part of me, like, you know, the things that make up who I am, turn the dials down on this and turn the dials up on that and kind of yeah. put myself in a, an imagined scenario and then kind of going from there. But yeah, but it was pretty soon after I watched about a boy that, that I just started sparking like, you know, certain, certain ideas and, uh, and then wrote the first, the rough draft, the initial draft, like relatively quickly. What was it like when it was finished? around 2005 where did it go what did it do like what were the outcomes of it you know the funny thing is like and brad and i were talking about this recently is we we just didn't really know enough about a lot of things but we didn't really know enough about film festivals we were starting to figure out more about film festivals soon after that but we sh there are certain things we should have pursued at that time that for whatever reasons we just didn't like, we played at the indie memphis film festival and it won like the best hometown or feature there. Then the only other festival I can remember that we submitted it to was Nashville. And we got really close with that one. I think part of what hurt us was that it had already played at Indie Memphis. And um, yeah. but we got a really nice letter from someone at the Nashville Film Festival about how it got really close and this, that, and the other. We should have submitted it to more. And we just didn't. As far as distribution goes, we were just like, we were selling some DVDs ourselves back then. Oh, and we also did, okay, we did do too, like, we did screen it at, so Malco is like the local theater chain in Memphis and like the, a big theater chain in that area in the Mid-South. And mm -hmm. so we did have like a two week, which is pretty cool. It started off as a one week engagement. So they played the movie at one of the theaters. They played it four times a day for a week. And then it did well enough that they extended it to a two week engagement. So we did do that. And then we screened it like um, certain other places like Brooks Museum of Art, like wanted to screen it. Certain other situations like that. But then, yeah, we, sh we then we started selling the DVDs ourselves. We made DVDs ourselves and sold those. But this is really, you know, the pre-digital era. Like if it was happening now, you know, we obviously would have put it up on Amazon and Google Play and all that jazz. But yeah, so we're actually kind of trying to like, you know, with Vimeo on demand and then with getting this distribution deal, trying to get it out there more now. But as far as, like, the reception of the film went, like, we're incredibly happy with how people had received it. The people we had gotten it in front of. The feedback we were getting and the reviews that we got. I remember this was kind of a crazy moment for me. And, you know, so Cameron Crowe is, like, one of the most influential filmmakers for me. I could see that. I love Cameron Crowe. Especially, I mean, Jerry Maguire was a huge, speaking of turning points, that was a big turning point for me. When I saw that in the theater for the first time when I was 15, um, it kind of, like, really crystallized. Like, oh, this is the kind of movie I want to make. Uh, like a really character-driven comedy drama. And so Act 1 started screening at the same time that Elizabethtown came out. 
it was in like the Memphis, Fly- yeah, the Memphis Flyer, where they had just by happenstance, um, they had a review of Elizabeth Sound. It's so it's basically on one one page. On the left side of the page was a review of Elizabeth Sound, and on the right side was a review of Act One, and it was a pretty negative review of Elizabeth Sound, which you know was weird to read, and then a very positive review of Act One, like right next to it. That was a strange one too. <laughs> um, I can imagine. Yeah. So no, we were really happy with you know the feedback we got from it. We could definitely feel like, like I said earlier, there was, it was a big shift for us. Like as far as like, oh, like you know, we're basically stepping our game up. That's great. Yeah. Do you know how much the budget was? It was about thirteen thousand. <laughs> Jeez, that's that's it, huh? Where did you uh, where where did you get the money for it? Uh, we each pitched in some, and then we got we kind of this again. This is like you know pre Kickstarter and all that, but we kind of did like a mailing out. <laughs> I think we mailed out like self addressed and stamped envelopes that people could put che- <laughs> put checks in. Yeah, and we got some money that way, and then like I said, we did like, you know fairly decently with um. Well, this was after the fact, but the Malco run, we were able to, like to recoup a good good chunk of that and selling some dvds and stuff so but yeah a lot of it was me mark brad and matt kind of chipped in and then we got the rest of it through those donations are there people from this that you still are close with the poster for act one is one of the posters like above my computer um so i'm looking <laughs> at the look at the credits right at <laughs> the uh, credits it's all memphis local people right not all of them no so Adam Burns is one of my best friends. So that was the first thing that I cast him in was Act One. But we wound up shooting. So I, ca- I cast him like a, over a year before we we actually shot it. So we wound up shooting uh, 2,000 Miles, which I also cast him in. And then Lost and Found, which I cast him in and co-directed with him. We did those first. And then we did Act One. Um, but yeah, Adam mm. Burns is yeah one of my nearest and dearest. He was in my wedding party. Uh, Jake Warren, also one of my nearest and dearest in my wedding party. Joey Watson is a close friend. He was our former uh, high school film and acting teacher. Brad, of course, wedding party, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, friend and, and uh, dear friend and collaborator for twenty five years now. It's crazy. Wedley, close friend. John Moore, close friend. Lou. I mean, yeah, all these. You know, Lou. I love Lou. Yeah, Mark, one of my nearest and dearest. But Mark. Uh, Mark passed away. Shit, nine years ago now. That's crazy to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, so that's, uh, I mean, that's, you know, another reason it'll always hold a, a special place. Uh, Mark was one of the original Old School Pictures guys we started working with in high school. And then, yeah, he passed away in, in uh, May 16th, 2011. So, act one. So, Daylight Phase was the last one that we did with, with Mark. Um, that was pretty soon before he died. And then he was supposed to work on being awesome with me. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, mm, I remember. I think you talked about that. We talked about that so at one point. Yeah, yeah. I think after I watched being awesome, yeah. Yeah, the the first title card is uh, at the end credits is for Mark. So that's yeah, that's Mark. But yeah, man. So yeah, I'm still close with a lot of uh, a lot of folks on there. Oh yeah, and Brian Churchill is another Jesus. He was another. He was a co-producer. On it. He passed away uh, seven years ago. Good lord. Oh wow. Yeah, <laughs> he's a great guy too. But yeah, feels definitely like a movie with a lot of community support for sure. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And like a lot of the places, you know, that we shot, where we shot, like all the locations were gifted to us one way or another. It was either, it was either like a friend's house or apartment or a friend of a friend's, or like their relative's house or whatnot. Or um, the movie theater we shot at was, you know, uh, Brad and I used to work at Malco and all the Fox and Hound hooked us up. Uh, Brad knows the uh, the owner. We were friends with his son. 
So anyway, so it was very much so like a lot of community support for sure. So we shot it all in Memphis, even though it claims to a lot of it claims to take place in, in Los Angeles. It was all shot in Memphis. What? I couldn't tell. Man. Uh, only only because only I live here. Only I, know, I, live I know, here. I know, I know. It's pretty obvious to anyone who lives here. But, uh, man, it was a wonderful shoot, dude. Like, it was like a lot of great memories. Just a lot. Just a wonderful feeling from everyone on, on set. I mean, every shoot is special. It was a really special shoot. Like, especially in, in hindsight and in knowing that, I mean, that and then Daylight Fades. Again, like, you know, with, with Mark and Matt. Mm-hmm. Those are the last two that I produced with, with, with Mark and Matt. So kind of like knowing like, oh, act and Daylight Phase was a much bigger operation as well than Act One. Daylight Phase was like a $200,000 budget and a much bigger crew. The shoot, it was it was a very, like it was a much more quote unquote like professional shoot and whatnot. Like it was very, like, you know, it was a much longer shoot. It wound up being a total of like 43 days, which for us is, you know, an eternity. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, it was 38 days of principal photography and five days of, of additional photography. So it's just a much bigger operation. There were a lot more people. With Act One, it was very, very strip, stripped down and streamlined. Yeah, the four of us producers were kind of like doing a lot of everything. And then John Moore, who's a co-producer, and Brian, they helped out a lot on the crew. It was a very small operation. So yeah, like it was just a bit, like it was cool, like all of us working in such close proximity with each other. It was on daylight phase, it felt like a lot more machinery, if you will. Yeah. It was just a different beast. And that was a great shoot too. It was a very wonderful shoot, but act one was special. Act one was like also like we're kind of like carrying with us like into that, like, you know, what we learned from all the productions we'd done before and bring it to that film. So yeah, yeah. I look back very, very, very fondly on, on, on that whole experience with act one. How many days did you guys do for act one? Man, I couldn't even tell you. Cause honestly it was kind of, it was a little more, it was a little more loosey goosey. It was a little more kind of, um, spread out. We kind of like, <laughs> running and gunning a lot more and uh I, I start we started getting more rigid with the schedules and stuff kind of after that that shoot so act one was like that right at that that moment between like the real kind of like you know the innocence of everything like you know and also just kind of like you know being naive about certain things and then becoming more professional well in good ways you know what i mean but act one was kind of like right on that line between we were, it was kind of like a moment where like we were kind of like growing up and you know entering a more you know our mid-20s and kind of like figuring things out a bit more so the shoot i couldn't like for all the films since then i can tell you the number of days the shoot was but this one was kind of like the way the way we scheduled it because we also we start we shot the prologue in january we shot the prologue separately oh yeah that was another thing too like we had the prologue to show to people to kind of help to try to generate the rest of the budget so we did the prologue first and then we shot the rest of the movie that uh like july i believe that july and august and we just kind of had it spread out over, by that point, we kind of had it spread out over like three weeks, maybe four weeks. Mm-hmm. And some days we would shoot, some days we'd shoot like half a day, some days we'd shoot all day, some days we'd be off for this, that, or the other reason. And all of a sudden the location came, like we had, it's basically like from LA, it was me, Bettina, and Adam Burns, and everyone else was local. So we had, you know, me and Bettina and Adam there for a certain amount of time. So obviously we had, we did have a lot of things scheduled. It was just, a little less uh, there were certain things that we were still having to schedule as we went like during the shoot we just knew that's like all right we have bettina for maybe it was like three weeks two or three weeks and we have adam for this amount of time so it's kind of like all right we have to like you know so it wasn't super loosey-goosey it's just i don't remember the exact amount of days and then also after that is when i started doing like a lot of like the scheduling like for daylight fades and we got really into scheduling now i'm super into scheduling i love scheduling even when we have like a first AD, I'm like, I'll do the scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I why do you love scheduling to, so much? Because you're very particular about it. I'm very particular, and at this point too, like I have a pretty clear understanding of what I need, like how much time I need uh, mm. for any given scene. I kind of just know how I move, how I operate. And yeah. I know how to, and it's kind of like putting a, it's kind of like a puzzle too. It's like, all right, we only have like X amount of days when I have, you know, I like to, I'm just, I like to be very precise. Like, okay, I'm going to bring this actor in for like these three days and just knock out all their stuff. And I like, you know, the difference is sometimes you have to schedule by location. Sometimes you have to schedule by, you know, by actor and then just making it all work. I don't know. It's, it can be a real pain in the ass. Sometimes it's incredibly stressful, but yeah. oh, as God. you know, but, uh, <laughs> but man, it's kind of like putting it, putting a puzzle together. And again, I just feel like, okay, like when I do the schedule myself, like I'm doing it again, like in the way that like, this is what I need. So I don't have to go back in and like change the schedule around because I've scheduled it exactly how I <laughs> exactly how I want it. So at yeah, some point yeah, I'll totally. probably need to let like a first AD like do the schedule again and, and not be so micromanaging with that. But again, like but then again it's it's also it's been working. So yeah. No, I totally get it. Especially at this level, you just yeah. Yeah. It, I, I it's it's tough to relinquish control of something like that, especially Yes. Because I mean, at this level know, too, like somebody yeah. doesn't know what's important. Yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. way that you do. And when you have such a limited amount of time, too, it's like... Because 43 days was by far, like, our longest schedule. You know, since then, it's been... Again, I can rattle off the top of it. Like, Being Awesome was 18 days. I went into that shoot, it was 20 days. But because we ran out of money, it did, did, you know, we were trying to find more money as the shoot went on. Since we couldn't find a certain amount, I had to cut two days, like, in the middle of it. But again, since I had done the schedule, like, I knew how to do that yeah. pretty quickly and, and uh, in a way that, that really worked where I didn't really like, lose anything that I felt was really, that you know, it was things that, like, okay, if I have to cut two days, here's how I can make that work. But yeah, being awesome was, so wound up being 18 days. Uh, we got lucky, it was five days. Bad Bad Men was 16 days. Save Yourself was seven days. Cold Feet was 16 days. Then Baby Come Home was four days. So those are all pretty tight schedules. Some tighter than others, obviously. Hey, that's not, I mean, that's what you got to do to get it done. Yeah. yeah. More days requires more money. Exactly. And so that's why, again, like, I think like it's hard for me. Like you said, like at this level, so like kind of when resources and time are so limited, to say the least. Yeah, that's I guess probably best for me to be super anal and get in there and, and just do it myself as opposed to driving someone else crazy by just like giving them notes and like telling them how to revise. Yeah. Having to micromanage you know? them. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, that's definitely a tough thing in indie directing is, is which, which keys, which parts can you delegate and which do you have to keep to yourself? Right. And, uh, it's, that's, it's a fine line to walk for sure. Yes. Cause you definitely do need to delegate a lot of stuff as much stuff as possible, but there's a lot yes. of things too, that it's just, at the level that we work, it just doesn't make sense to delegate. So yeah, and, and I'm, I feel like I'm always finding my footing with that. But uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of like the case with everything, though. You know, of course, like with each project, you're trying to get better and better and refine the process and just improve as you go. So yeah, man. Did you guys shoot it on an HVX? We did. It was the Panasonic. Was twenty four hundred forty two hundred? What was that sucker called? Uh, HVX two thousand, I think. Yeah, what's I'm it? I remember now. I remember it was all was the it rage. Was the HD one or, or or was it a DVX? I think it was man, whatever it was, it was all the rage at the time. Like, I remember like I saved up for one of those cam. I got that camera. We shot a lot of stuff with that. That was kind of like that was the go-to camera for us for a few years. The fixed lens was it HD? Brad, Mark, and Matt had one too. It's kind of like the camera that like every like indie filmmaker our age oh, yeah. at the time was had bought. 
It's yeah, right. it's the indie family. Yeah, yeah, probably HVX or DVX. Yeah, I think it was DVX, DVX one hundred, something like that. Or it was like uh, yep. Twenty four P was a big thing. About it. it was like Panasonic yep. DVX one hundred. Yeah, yeah probably DVX one hundred. Yeah, yep. yeah. That was the last one we shot that- on tapes. Yeah, on mini DV tapes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I cut my teeth on that one too. Yeah, man. It was just such a revolution. It was like five thousand dollars, which sounds expensive now, but at the time it was just like, oh my god, you can get this camera for five thousand dollars? That's ridiculous. Like, then now we get, you know, our technology is even so much more better than that. Um, That's crazy. I'm slowly watching it as I, I have it on silent, the movie on silent. Oh, okay. I was just kind of cluing into that's what you're, that's what you're doing. So yeah, I mean, what was your, what were your thoughts? How did you, how did you feel for watching? You know what? It starts rough. It starts rough as an indie film because I'm somebody who's watched a lot of bad indie films, mm-hmm. you know, and it kind of it kind of starts. And this is like this is not necessarily a bad filmmaking thing you did. I think just once you've seen so much of sort of the market or whatever, whatever you want to call it, the the section of like low budget indie films and you see that start it's, you're kind of like ooh there's a lot of bad a lot of bad signs here so I was, <laughs> so I was, so I was worried I was right. worried you know because like there's vo- there's a lot of voiceover and like things like that you know oh yeah but but then you stick with it and like all of that stuff comes back around and yeah. all of that stuff ends up being actually well justified and really works for the story cool and you know by the end of it like really had me and I really ah. um. Sucker. really really dug the story and i really enjoyed it a lot yeah. and like i think a lot of the sort of the meta things that that in the beginning are worrisome like by the end you're like oh all of this is actually working very well together cool yeah some of the craft elements of it are a little a little raw sure. as one might expect for I a film that you that did, for a movie 15, did 15 15 years, years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly but um but you know despite those like i was very emotionally invested and i think it had you know it toes a lot of lines very well and i think you you say the cameron crow thing and and i think it actually kind of hits a more complex like emotional story than you would normally expect out of like that kind of like comedy drama thing that you're you're, you were talking about kudos kudos on all of that man yeah what it's funny because the voiceover thing is something that one of the first things you hear early on is like voiceover is a fucking crutch it's lazy it's whatever like blah 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 and my thing was like well first of all like about a boy had voiceover and it used it to brilliant effect have you seen about a boy yeah i believe so it's been a really long time i think i saw it in theaters uh, That's the Hugh Grant one, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd recommend a rewatch if you're, if you're yeah, so yeah. inclined. I remember liking it a lot at the time. Cool. Well, it has a dueling voiceover between Hugh Grant and, and the boy, Nicholas Halt, who's now, you know, grown up to be, well, Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Halt. But, um, yeah. and I love the way that voiceover was deployed for that. And for this, I'm like, oh, well, basically, you're watching this guy's script that he's writing. So it makes sense for there to be voiceover, like, laced throughout it because it's a very meta thing. And, like, you know, he's writing about it, like, as his life is happening, it's feeding directly into the script and vice versa, you know? So I'm like, and also, like, I kind of, totally. like, any, anything that someone says, like, you shouldn't do that, kind of makes me want to do it even more. <laughs> like, that's a recurring, like, I kind of despise. I'll just go ahead and say this part. I, I, uh, there's a lot of, okay, 
there's a lot of like blanket rules like you know and things you don't even have to explain yourself to me man there's no there are no there's definitely no hard and fast rules in filmmaking yeah yeah i don't like people who couch it in those kind of extremes of like never do this or never do that exactly i think there's things that are good to not necessarily do when you're first starting out when you don't necessarily have the skill level to do those things but once you've learned your craft a bit and you can understand the impacts of what you're doing and why you're doing it like there's no rules like do anything my Do, thing is, in fact, push push against those boundaries. Right. My thing is this: like, I won't like if someone you know were to say to me like, "Oh, don't use voiceover," I wouldn't then be like, "Fuck you!" I'm going to use voiceover just to be a contrarian, just to buck against them and go against the grain. My thing is like, if I've already decided I'm going to use voiceover, or if it's anything that I have a lot of conviction about, and then someone tells me I shouldn't do it, that just makes me want to do the thing even more because it only bolsters yeah. my conviction even more. But also, yeah, I think it's bullshit, again, to, like, you know, like I said, really, like, you know, just to do something because other people are telling you not to do it. I'm like, well, make sure, you, like, you have a good reason for doing that thing. Um, or at least, like, you know, if you have conviction about it, that's kind of what it all comes down to. But anyway, well, cool, man. No, yeah, I can I can definitely see how it might have started off a little a little rough and, and worrisome for you. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm glad you wound up uh, liking it. Yeah, now that makes me want to go back and... And rewatch it and have that have that experience alongside you. Shake my head at the first shake my head dismissively at the first few minutes and then I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but, but you know what, like I'm just this, kidding. I'm just this kidding. should have been so much worse. You tell me a, a future film that you made fifteen years ago right. and stuff and like you you, you project, you you say, Okay, so some he's been growing for these like fifteen years or whatever sure. and like and uh so you go back to this and like it should just be a complete dumpster fire and like it's nowhere near that i think the writing still really excels and and like the heart thing like maybe this was your level up film like you you, like you mentioned but like the heart film that the heart part that's still really present in your work today is present in this film as well so you have these moments that you just want to make sure that they're earned you know what i mean and not just like shoehorned in there for the sake of being like sentimental like i love like all the psychological building blocks and putting them together and just, and just so in the way that like leads to like a certain like emotional reaction from the characters. You know what I mean? Like basically having it all justified and being smart about it and not just modeling. Yeah. That's always like very, very important to me. Just the the craftsmanship, but also even more so like I felt like the, yeah, the heart and uh, the themes were, were were shining through more with that one than anything we've done before. Definitely. I think the performances, you know, I'm not, everything is a A plus across the board, but your, your important ones your important performances really work yeah i'm like you do a good job and kate is the actress who plays kate is She's really great. good yeah i forget adam was his name who adam played, burns. Trip. Yeah, played trip yeah he, he did it he, he does a real good job love him yeah and um i think importantly like some of the uh the side characters sort of like find their footing in the right moments performance wise right especially like the producer who's advising you on the script some of his early stuff is kind of rough but like in the important moments really later on he really starts to nail it and so like it all all comes together well because again i I feel like so act one to me is a big is a big turning point and then and this also makes sense because this was again the first one that i solo directed but like i'd really you know built up to it but like being awesome was like the first film we made where i'm like i felt by a wide margin like this is the movie i wanted it to be yeah, I think this 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 ties closely with being awesome for sure. I think they're they're very very similar in a lot of ways. They they're, have a lot of yeah. Connected. They have a lot of yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I felt like with with being awesome, it kind of was like at that point too. I wanted to do something that was because obviously the you know the 
the nature oh, sorry, of sorry, not being awesome. I meant uh, bad bad men. Bad bad men. Oh, bad bad men. Okay. Feel very connected to me. Yeah. With being awesome, like I was going after yeah, I wanted something that felt much like because obviously act one is, you know, the presentation of it, it's much more of a polished kind of thing, so to speak. Whereas with being awesome, I wanted something that feel that felt very raw and grounded and mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. hyper realistic. So and that one to me was like but again, like, you know, I wrote, solo directed, edited, being awesome, acted in, of course, and was a producer on it too. So for me, that was the first one. I'm like, okay, this is what I can do. Like, this movie is very indicative of like who I am as a person, and like what I can do as a as a filmmaker. But Act One was the, kind of the one before that that kind of like started nudging things more in in that direction. You know what I mean? And felt like emblematic of like, okay, like here's where I'm at at this age as a person, as a, as a storyteller. Uh, it's important anyway. to get those confidence boots to get those those wins i think so that you can start to sort of be assured about what you're doing i've certainly had those moments for myself yeah as well with with projects yeah because i mean you know i mean yeah you just you just feel it at times and it's not about becoming like yeah like it's about yeah finding your footing becoming confident it's certainly not like an arrogance thing uh, i mean i'm sure it can be for some people but it's that feeling of like okay like yeah i definitely again whether it's a moment or a scene or a whole film or like whatever but like when you have that feeling of like, yeah, I got, I got it across. And it takes like a thing about like, you know, being awesome too, is that, I mean, that's the 11th movie that I wrote and produced. I'd written probably like 20 something by that point, And that was the 11th that like, I'd actually made, you know what I mean? So that's coming mm-hmm. on the heels of a lot of other films. And then a lot of, other, you know, and then plays and other projects that I'd, you know, written and um, developed and acted in or whatever, like, you know, leading up to that, getting to that place with, with being awesome, very much so felt earned. Definitely. And then, we, you know, continue to grow since then. But that was, yeah, kind of being awesome was, I'd say like act one is a huge turning point for sure. And then being awesome was definitely like, okay, like the next, a, a next big step and giving me that, that, that kind of confidence and that, that self-assuredness like that. Yeah. Like I'm on the right track. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm on my path, like unquestionably. It's great to have those moments because God knows there's plenty of moments where you feel a little, you know, shaken one way or another. Yeah, it's it's important to like know the parts of your process are at least working. Like I can do these things. I can repeat yeah. certain steps here and, and they can. I'm confident it'll yield certain outcomes. I think those, those that's yeah. an important and also moment in the growth of creator. What's crucial there, too, is like even though I said, you know, being awesome is very much so like this is who I am and what I can do. But also like, you know. I learned a lot through making like, oh, I would do this differently, like moving forward. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things I would do differently now. But I learned those things through the process of, of making it. And then you you keep taking those lessons with you. So there should never be a point where, well, I don't think there really is for any artist that's being like honest with themselves. There's never a point where it's like I, everything, I nailed it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I would, it's perfect, this, that, the other. Because that's not the point. You're not chasing perfection. Yeah. Because um, that doesn't exist. But you're trying to, you know take what it is that you want to say and get it across in, in the clearest and most, you know, direct and impactful way possible. And I felt like overall, like with being awesome, we, you know, did that. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm really glad you, uh, you watched it and, and, uh, enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah. So what, what of yours am I going to watch? I'll, uh, I'll email you, uh, cool. some stuff with some links and we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for talking with me. It was fun, fun talking movies, man, and catching up and sharing yeah, this time cool. with fellow director i respect so uh yeah thank you my friend i'm excited about uh yeah watching whatever it is that you send my way and uh picking your brain that'll be fun all right thanks dude i'll uh, i'll email you later today we'll figure out a time and um you know uh good luck with uh with all them them babies and family stuff you got going on (laughs) thanks man i appreciate it all right all right buddy have a good week i'll talk to you soon 
Yeah. See you, man. Later. So that was our conversation about Act One. I still, even two years later, thinking about it, I really enjoy that film. It has a nice little soft spot in my heart. Um, but I just wanted to follow Thanks, up man. out of curiosity, because we haven't really covered this in the episode. Um, uh-huh. How was that journey for you uh, with the sales agent and and uh, the experience of signing that sales agent and and putting putting those films out in the world connected to that particular sales agent? It was cool. Um, yeah, it was funny because I think I think I mentioned it on the episode. But basically, when we when we put it up on Vimeo Demand, we thought that would be it with Act One because you know it's old. It's an it's an older film, um, and we just thought it'd be nice to kind of like you know, archive it and get it out there more and kind of uh, to like our newer audience and whatnot and maybe, you know, generate like a little revenue from it. Yeah, then we got a distribution deal. And then, as I mentioned, now it's on Tubi and, and Amazon as well as Vimeo On Demand. So yeah, it was a nice little happy uh, happy bonus there. So that was cool. I, I'm curious, just this jumping off this a little bit, with delivering an older film like that, did y'all already have all the materials together and stuff for delivery, or was that kind of a big pain in the butt pulling everything together for an older film? Honestly, it's kind of a blur at this point because we also did like Cold Feet like the same year. Um, but I, we basically had all the deliverables together. I don't think they really, I mean, we because we'd released the movie ourselves like on DVD 15, 15 years ago at this point. So we kind of had all the all the files and whatnot. Some stuff had to be, you know, updated, upgraded, what have you. But it must have been really smooth sailing because I don't even remember uh, that process uh, with Brad and I sending the deliverables. So I think it was it was pretty, uh, again, it was a blur. It was right before River was born too. So yeah, if it was arduous, it would have stuck out. It would have uh, stuck out in my mind. So where can I, can I get one of those 15 year old DVD copies somewhere? I want one of those. I don't put that on my dude, shelf. Dude, you can. Yeah, I'll give you one. I All got right. one. It's funny because like I was going through stuff in the garage the other day and I just found like a box of our of act one. DVDs and uh, Daylight Fades uh, Blu-rays and DVDs. Yeah, those are the last ones that we released on physical media. I'll get. I want a copy um, of them all. I want a copy cool. of them all. I want. I okay. seriously. I'll pay for the shipping. I'll pay for some amount of the DVDs, but like whatever you want. Oh, I want to put them on will. my shelf. I want to. I want to. I want to display them proudly. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'm honored. And yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll work that out. Thanks, dude. Uh, cool. I think that about does it for episode eight of the Story Life podcast. Uh, thank you for listening yeah. to our discussion about Act One today. Yeah. Um, you can contact us at wearestorylife at gmail.com. Also, please check out our website, wearestorylife.com, where you'll find more information about us and what we do as coaches and consultants for fellow artists. Uh, as well as links to our Patreon and social media pages. Yeah, just throwing it out there, y'all. Like, if you're liking what we're talking about, me and Alan are both creative coaches and and consultants. We're very supportive. We're very sort of nuanced in our approaches and stuff. A lot of the vibes that you get from the show is the kind of same kind of stuff we bring to our coaching and consulting work. So uh, if you'd be interested in uh, potentially, you know, having that sort of relationship with us we do 30 minute consultations for free you just gotta find that information on our website or reach out to us on all of our any of our social handles uh which you can follow me on twitter and instagram at clinton cornwell uh you can follow me on facebook twitter tiktok and vimeo at alan c gardner that's a l l e n c g a r d n e r and on instagram at alan c gardner movies uh, Cold Feet is currently available on Amazon Prime, the Roku channel, Google Play, and YouTube. And my other movies are available on several platforms, including Being Awesome, Save Yourself, and the aforementioned Act One on Tubi. And we got Lucky and Bad Bad Men on Amazon. 
thank you to our fucking spectacular editor, Mr. Mike Jimenez, for all of his awesome work. Yes. I was thinking maybe we should hire an editor and just get somebody to start editing these together and like just start putting them out. Just if we're gonna do that, I mean, we don't necessarily have to. I also just enjoy talking with you. Yeah, um, but no, it was a- just something that maybe we should just start putting it out into the world. My inclination is like, okay, maybe try to like, because I feel like we don't even need to like edit it that much. Like, I kind of want to keep it as as pure as possible. But I also know we're kind of amassing quite a few episodes now that then we would need to go through and trim up if we're going to do it ourselves. So maybe there's a way we can, I, our, you know, tag team that. And uh, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about in like, the email that I uh, send with my movies. We'll I'll, we'll start the discussion there. We can this kinda... this conversation needs to be at the tail end of this episode. All right. So speaking of editing, like this conversation about how we need an editor cannot go anywhere. <laughs> if you're editing this right now, just know that this is <laughs> the crown jewel of this <laughs> of this episode. And thank you to all of our loved ones, friends, and family for their constant support, allowing us the platform to to be able to do this work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, we have many more episodes coming up, so please subscribe and join us next week. This has been Clinton Cornwall. And Helen C. Gardner. With Story Live. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Oh, hold on one second. Hey, buddy. Hi, Bubba. Can you change your diaper? Oh, hey, hold on one second, and then I'm gonna have to hop off in a couple minutes. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna change this guy real fast.